morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. My name is Abhinav Agarwal. I am the curator of Indic Book Club, and I am delighted to start today the first of our Indic Book Club author Q&A series. And while IBC had done these author interviews a few years back, now with the launch of our new Facebook group, uh, uh, which is Indic Book Club, we wanted to start or restart the series in its, uh, in its new uh, form and avatar. And I am equally delighted to have as our very first author, Nitin Sridhar, who has very graciously accepted and agreed to come on to this uh, author Q&A webinar. And while we will be talking about a lot of things in uh, primarily, I will be asking him questions and discussing his uh, his uh, his book, The Sabrimala Confusion Menstruation Across Cultures, a Historical Perspective. Uh, this book uh, has been published by Vitasta uh, Publishers and there it's got a lot of good, uh, you know, feedback and reviews from a lot of people. And I will just read out uh, on the on the cover what uh, Amish uh, uh, Tripathi has to say about the book. He says in many of the Shakta and Shaivite traditions, women and their cycles are respected as fundamental to creation. Nitin has approached this deadline his sorry, this delicate subject with maturity and nuance and at the back of the book, Nitin, you have uh, this quote uh, from uh, Sumedha Varma Oja, who uh, in her own right is a very you know, well-known author, speaker, and columnist. And she says that menstruation is one of the most natural of processes in this mortal world. And yet, hedged in by so many obfuscations, in common understanding, it is all about taboos and restrictions leading to unhealthy results. This book by Nitin Sridhar is a timely attempt to set the record straight. And then there was this review by Sri Bibek De Broye, who had a lot of nice things to say about this book. And it also came in at a very opportune time. So before that, I want to uh, say a quick uh, few words about Nitin. So Nitin is the, uh, till a short while back, you used to be the editor of India Facts, and now you have taken up a new role at the Advait Academy. And you have written ex extensively on spirituality, religion, culture, politics, ecology, and social issues. And the interesting thing is that though you trained as a civil engineer, about five years back also, you moved to this sphere almost, I think, completely now full time. And you are based out of Mysore, which is the cultural capital of Karnataka. And your previous, you have also written a few other books, and we will talk about that. One of them is Musings on Hinduism. Another one is Samanya Dharm. And you also have an, another book coming out. So we will also talk about that, but more towards the end of this uh, webinar. So uh, thank you, Nitin, and welcome. Thank you, Abhinav. I'm very glad to be here. Very happy to be here. So, uh, okay. I'll admit one thing. There are a lot of questions I want to ask you, and I'm not really sure what's the best way to begin. But let's start with the title. In your title, you you have the Sabrimala confusion, and this book did appear at a time when uh, Sabrimala has been in the news uh, uh, for a lot of different reasons. So, can you tell us, uh, uh, you know, before we get into the rest of the book, can you tell us a little bit about? Uh, 
you know, people have been reading and a lot of people's uh, opinions and views on this uh, controversy would have been formed by what they have read in mainstream media, which has uh, for, you know, for its own reasons framed it as in, in one particular way. But uh, can you tell us a little bit about what this, uh, uh, this, this uh, controversy is and uh, where does it stand today? Okay, so basically, uh, the the superscript of the title says the Shabarimala confusion, and what is this confusion? People ask me, and I want to I, uh, like to highlight this. The confusion is that uh, the mainstream narrative, it may be in media, it may be intellectuals or social media, wherever it is. The Shabarimala issue has been deliberately portrayed as an issue that is related to menstruation of women that is somehow uh, uh, the, the narrative one is the aspect of the temple itself that uh, how the non-alloyance of uh, women of certain age in the temple is uh, is uh, results in you know a kind of uh, gender inequality and discrimination against women but the other uh, underlying narrative is that uh, this happens because hinduism hindu philosophy hindu tradition in general uh, looks down upon menstruation as something dirty, as something regressive, something you know bad and evil. So this uh, uh, regressive and uh, kind of uh, offensive view of Hindu philosophy towards menstruation is also causing them to prevent women from going to Shabrimala. So this is the confusion that is created. The, the, the fact is there is no direct connection per se between the um, uh, the practices, the stipulations of the temple and the views of menstruation in Hinduism. At best, there is a indirect connection. The fact is, uh, the, the, the Shabrimala temple practice is basically uh, related to the nature of the deity that is present in there, which is a special form of Ayapa Swami, uh, Dharma Sashta, um, special form in the sense, uh, in the form of Naishtika Brahmachari, and because of brahmacharya rules the basically uh, certain prescriptions are are given there and the the temple forms part of the different uh, 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 sashtra temples and there are certain other uh, detailed issues the spiritual aspects and all but the primary so, criteria so, let me yeah. let me uh, interrupt you right there sorry so are you saying that uh, this restriction on the entry of women of a particular age at this particular temple is 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 not uh, universal or widespread? So let's just you know get this clear. Are you saying that women there is no restriction of entry of women into uh, Ayappa temples uh, otherwise? Yes, yes, exactly. The restriction is only in that particular temple in Shabirimala. There are other temples within Kerala which are equally important, equally uh, considered divinely important Kshetram of uh, Ayappa Swami, the Dharma Sashta. But there, uh, this restriction is not there. There are temples where the Sashta is in a, in a child form, in a married form, in many other forms. See, ultimately, whatever be the form, the essence is the same, that of Sashta. So, so uh, a devotee of Ayappa Swami, a woman devotee, can easily visit any of the other temples. So, okay, so yeah. uh, another thing is a question that I have is that uh, is the temple open to people of all faiths? So if one is not a Hindu, can that person uh, 
uh, do a pilgrimage of Shabrimala? I think a lot of people from other faith do it. I am not very sure uh, of this aspect. But in general, right. you can see that... But, there the, is, but uh, the stipulations uh, are common for everyone. Yes, if they are taking this Shabrimala, uh, you know, doing this pilgrimage as part of the Vrata, not everybody takes the Vrata, right? But those who take the Vrata, the stipulations are same. There is a Diksha part, there is a strict observation part uh, for 41 days or so. And then the finally the pilgrimage happens. So the, the ritualistic part is same for everybody. Anybody who wants to do that Vrata has to follow that stipulation irrespective of uh, any other thing. Okay. And is this restriction a new one or has it been in place for a long time? See, uh, see there are some uh, people who argue that uh, this restriction on women of certain age is a new thing, but that is not so uh, because this restriction arises from the very worth of Ayapa Swami as uh, as noted in Bhutanatha Upakhyana and other texts, uh, wherein he mentions about his brahmacharya nature and, uh, uh, and all those things. So, legally speaking, of course, India itself as a modern nation state is just a few decades old. And with it, the legal things that we have today has come up. But as a traditional practice, this, is, this goes for a long time. Okay. Okay. So, now let's step back and uh, I, I want to know, so the elephant in the room, so to say, is what led you, uh, a, 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 a male, a man, to get so interested in the subject to the point of doing so much of research in it and then coming out with a book? Uh, I'm sure others will also have this question, uh, and, and so do I. I I'm curious. I think uh, the, the very simple answer is uh, uh, curiosity coupled with lack of answers. I think much of the things that I have done in my life has to do with these two things. Uh, when, as I was saying that in, back in 2015, uh, when Chabri issue was again in the news and uh, uh, all this narrative was happening, I said the, there was underlying media narrative regarding menstruation and how Hinduism considers women as impure and dirty and all those things. So the I I was just, you know, a lot of people wrote about the temple itself and how the narrative of equality, etc. regarding the temple is misleading. But I did not see anybody, uh, at least to my knowledge, not a single person actually countered the underlying narrative about uh, Hinduism per se uh, degrading women, uh, degrading menstruating women by considering menstruation as a, 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 a dirty process or something like that. So my my uh, beginning uh, interest in this topic was a uh, completely as a someone who is interested in truth. I I had no sides to take. In fact, uh, I would uh, say that uh, some ten years back, I did not subscribe to this notion of purity and impurity at all per se, and uh, I I kind of took the extreme view, which is valid in particular context, like a, in a context of a certain um, certain sampradayas wherein uh, there is no purity or impurity everything is uh, you you tend to transcend this duality but anyways so from uh, i had this i did not believe in the notion of impurity per se so i was agnostic to this uh, notions 
and i just wanted to know what is the truth what does the hindu shastras hindu texts hindu practices speak about this and uh, when i searched in the internet when i searched in the books and all at beginning i did not find any um, any proper treatment of the issue uh, any in depth treatment of the issue i did found one or two papers from western scholars and uh, as is usually the case i mean they mix uh, facts with a lot of uh, prejudice so even if there is even uh, sometimes even fiction but at, even if we think that no serious scholars do not uh, do fiction but even then there is always a prejudice and bias so i uh, since i have been in this field for some time and i have been reading lot of stuff so i could i felt that you know more and more i researched from primary sources like uh, the the yajurveda samhita the uh, the manusmriti and the other dharma shastra and the puranas i re- and even ayurvedic texts i realized that there is lot of materials that people do not know and this practices you know the uh, the things we say that do not go to temple or puja during menstruation do not cook or take rest all these practices have a have a very uh, make sense they are not illogical they are not superstition they are not uh, products of some regressive society but they have most of these uh, stipulations have a ayurvedic basis and uh, it uh, they are given for the health uh, for catering to the health of the women and those with the dharma shastra basis they catered to the overall well being of the women so these are the things that when i discovered i i, I thought ki look after some research i have understood this so it, it's kind of my, my duty to share it with the world and uh, and that is how i wrote this uh, series in india packs in 2015 which now currently indic today is republishing called hindu views of menstruation it was a six part series and when i finished with the topic i thought okay i am done i have uh, uh, my work is done i have shared my contribution is over but then renukol verma my publisher from vitasta Uh, she approached me she said look can you make this into a book can you expand this into a book and then i was first hesitant i i thought i had already written what i want to write what more can i write but then i i got an idea then why not uh, make it a more comprehensive uh, book in the sense uh, that uh, uh, not only focusing on hindu dharma but let me investigate the notions and religions across the world in ancient civilizations like greek rome etc and do a comparative analysis and contrast this religious and the cultural views uh with the modernity uh, the the kind of scientific uh, or scientist uh, modernity views that we have today uh, so i have this is this is the whole thing that i have done in the book uh, so comparing and contrasting uh, Uh, the study and kind of summarizing each uh, cultures uh, basic uh, foundational views and practices and trying to interpret them from a indic perspective i mean see lot of the material you get on greek rome and other ancient civilizations the scholars come from the western scholars and they come from a christian uh, bias and uh, the, the christian cultural framework and uh, intellectual framework so i have uh, um, try to Uh, you know pre- present their views honestly but at the same time 
try to share a indic perspective a hindu hindu interpretation of certain polytheistic practices because hinduism is more close to ancient greece than christianity is to ancient greece so so i have tried to do this as well in the book okay perfect so you uh you 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 touched upon a lot of uh, things and topics that i think uh, make uh, will make for fascinating uh, discussion now you talked about impurity you talked about uh, the notion of uh, 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 you know of these restrictions you talked about uh, some western biases you talked about uh, your research that you did and uh, in terms of comp- bearing practices across history in different religions and you also talked about how the series of articles you wrote then ended up becoming a book so let's start with the very first one what do you mean by or what do people mean or what do beliefs traditional cultures and beliefs or religions mean when they talk about purity impurity i mean the fact is that every one of us carries some form of impurities inside of us uh you know bodily waste and other things so why is it applied only to women so i'm not clear about that and i'm sure a lot of people have a question you know similar questions can you can can you tell us why and what okay uh, that in fact the notion of impurity is this is an elephant this is the true elephant in the room <laughs> because uh as i realized when i researched on the topic that this is one point that is most misunderstood misinterpreted and and it has it does not have a homogeneous meaning and it is a english word which we should always keep in mind see when in, when we think in english and when we write in english and say that look um menstruation is considered as impurity or menstruating women are considered as impure in hinduism during their periods uh, so it it conveys a very negative meaning like uh, something dirty something sinful something bad or kind of a moral judgment but uh, when i uh, when i studied the sanskrit texts the the shastras the smritis and the veda and all i realized that this moral judgment is completely missing the the shastrik word is the the term is ashaucha there is shaucha and there is ashaucha shaucha is what is translated as purity and ashaucha is impurity they have a element of ritual impurity yes but this is not a moral judgment so what do they actually mean to understand ashaucha we need to understand shaucha right so let me just quickly give a little bit background uh, because otherwise the meaning will be lost uh, in our uh, indian perspective in individual is not just made up of a physical body right so vedanta for example gives the perspective of pancha koshas we have the physical sheet the physical body and we have the subtle body which is made up of the pranamaya kosha which is the you know level of pranas the five pranas which uh, cause uh, our breathing process our assimilation process and you know all this nerve circulatory things all those things and then we have the mind manomaya kosha and there are other two uh, levels as well but the, these three are most important uh, to our case so when we speak about purity and impurity there are two aspects to it one is the aspect of uh, purity per se or cleanliness per se 
but there is the other aspect which is of competence or incompetence the there are texts uh, which clearly says that to perform any action especially vaidika or agamic or any religious action one has to be pure one has to be in a condition of shaucha so for example when we go to a temple we wash our legs and enter the temple right and when we sit for a puja we take a bath and only then sit for a puja so these are all because of this so what does this purity means at the physical level it will mean complete cleanliness but at the level of the mind it would mean a condition of calmness and purity of the thought and calmness no distractions that is which are all uh, caused due to sattva guna right when mind is resting in sattva guna there is calmness and that is called as purity but when in the level of the prana at the pranamaya kosha there are five pranas these five pranas has to be in a balanced condition and only then it is considered as shaucha but what happens during menstruation there is a flow of blood at the physical level right and at the level of the pranas there is a imbalance in the uh, you know pancha pranas the apana vayu is in a heightened condition the ayurvedic text says this heightened condition is because to facilitate the process of menstruation to facilitate women to you know the biological process of making her you know fertile the, the making her uh, able to bear the children right so this is the whole process so there is a there is a rajas excess of rajasic energy at the level of the prana and there is a excess of rajoguna at the level of the mind that is why women uh, during menstruation has this mood swings many of them uh, find irritation and and you know change in moods all those things happen so this is why in sanskrit in ayurveda and any in the text the term used for menstruation is rajasvala or rajasrava rajasrava means flow of rajas rajas is blood in the physical body rajas is rajoguna rajas is also rajasic energy so when we speak that uh, look menstruation is ashaucha it is ritual impure for lack of better word in english what it simply means is women are in a heightened condition of rajas and due to this heightened condition of rajas they become ineligible or incompetent uh, to perform certain actions like puja cooking and uh, physical exercises that's it and certain actions are not considered good for them uh, so that that's it so this there is no moral judgment there is no saying that women become somehow bad or uh, evil or or uh, dirty no no there no no such meanings are associated second point this notion of ashaucha is not unique to women right any flow of blood has a kind of ashaucha even if if, if a man has a injury in the body and there is a blood flow even that is ashaucha but the difference between that ashaucha and the kind of ashaucha in the menstruation is that in the menstruation involves removing of ama or the bodily toxins it involves a heightened condition of rajas in the mind and the pranic level mere injury does not have that and even there are ashaucha related to for example when there is a death in the house the immediate family members are Uh, are are not allowed to perform the daily day to day religious duties right so that is ashaucha there is incompetence there as well and similarly there is ashaucha regarding birth of the baby right 
so to the point is it is not just the women who have this in, uh, the notion of uh, uh, purity or impurity is associated both men and women under, un, undergo this processes at different points in life women because of their biology because they uh, because of their biology and their ability to the cycle of you know menstruation and motherhood they undergo a particular kind of um, uh, this ashaucha wherein they become ineligible to certain actions uh, this is the basic meaning so the second part of your question then we have to think is if ashaucha does not have a moral judgment does not mean dirty or uh, degraded person then where did this negative come uh, negative meaning of impurity comes from right interesting correct, correct. because you know uh, one thing that you clarified and answered which is going to ask is that does this not apply uh, so yes and by way of clarification i'll also say that uh, uh, you know there is there is one uh, people can send in their questions using the q and a as we are done with our discussion we will take up those questions so if you have any questions you know people you can post them to the to the q and a section here uh, so yes nathan do uh, carry on so yes where did this notion of uh, of of uh, you know this uh, negative connotation of impurity and all of that come from and perhaps you can also talk about uh, uh, or maybe we can we can uh, leave this for the for a subsequent question is uh, you cover this in in a couple of chapters in your book on what was the view of christianity and uh, before that judaism on these uh, topics firstly and you also talk about uh, how uh, from pre christianity early christianity and then to medieval uh, times these views uh, underwent a change so uh, let's start you know wherever you feel comfortable let's let's start with that okay yeah see uh, so when i investigated this uh, that where from where do we get this meaning of uh, impurity in a negative sense because see in the west even in uh, greco roman culture the polytheistic uh, greek civilizations they have a similar concept of shaucha shaucha in the sense of catharsis and miasma and they have a similar meanings to our meaning in the sense of uh, vitality and uh, incompetence right the miasma means incompetence or uh, loss of vitality and all so the question is from where then does the meaning of uh, negative negative connotations come from so uh, when i read the text of related to christianity and the various works done by scholars i realized that it is in the abrahamic uh, religious view uh, the judaism christianity and islam the negative meaning comes from see english is the language of western culture and western culture is rooted in abrahamic frameworks right so what happens in christianity is uh, they connect the notion of menstruation with the original sin of eve we all know the story of the original sin right uh, in the garden of eden apple adam and eve was there and uh, eve ate the forbidden apple and they were removed from there and this led to the fall of humans right so as a punishment to this 
because Eve, it was Eve who led astray that Adam as well. The, the, the Christian texts and scholars, they say that God punished women to menstruate every month, to partake in this sin, to as a punishment for this original sin. So the, the Christian theology believes that women are uh, uh, partake in this sin. A, they suffer the punishment for this sin every month. So, therefore, they consider women to be uh, entering a state of sinfulness during their th three days periods. And this they call by the term impurity. The terminology they derived from the Greco-Romans. But the meaning they reformulated it, reinterpreted it to fit into their biblical, uh, you know, biblical uh, narrative. So they, while they continue to call this as uh, uh, impurity or uh, miasma, the meaning had changed. Now it is related to, uh, it is considered as a state of sinfulness. So a state of moral degradation. So, so, so Nitin, uh, uh, let me interrupt you right there. So this concept of, uh, of this original sin, is that found in, in the New Testament? Is this found in, in, the, in the Bible? See, it is, it is found in the Old Testament itself. Uh, you know, the, okay. the, the story of Adam and Eve, it is found in the Old Testament, right? So, and this Old Testament is subscribed by both the Jew, Jew, Jewish people as well as uh, Christian people, right? But uh, there is a difference in how they interpret it, and there is a lot of, you know, lot, it's a very lot of complex uh, to, to go into the depth. But the basic point is, it is a, uh, the, 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 this Abrahamic uh, uh, correlation between the menstruation process and the notion of sinfulness is, is something that, that is the reason why the term impurity with respect to menstruation is associated with all kind of negative connotations, all kind of moral connotations. This has nothing to do with Hinduism or any polytheistic traditions or anything. So come to the second question uh, you said uh, that I should address about early Christianity and later Christianity, right? Right, right. So, uh, yeah. Uh, shall I address that? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So uh, this 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 has been a very, one of the interesting part of my study uh, that uh, you know this uh, early Christianity. You know, it's uh, the Council of uh, what was that? Uh, nice, uh, nice. Christianity in, uh, refers to. Yeah, the Nicene Conference yeah. of three twenty five uh, uh, AD, I think. <laughs> Yes, yes, exactly. So I have forgotten these specific details. So usually the before that council uh, was constituted, uh, the early uh, ways that uh, the Christianity evolved are considered as early Christianity. And there were different, it had different forms in different places and all. Uh, in one particular sect or one particular evolvement of early Christianity, we have a very interesting notions of, you know, wherein it was posited that baptism is a one-time event. It purifies the new Christians, the new converts to Christianity. They, it, it purifies them of all kinds of impurities and they no longer need to do any other 
purification processes. To understand this, we need to understand that when early Christianity arises, that what does a new religion does? It tries to uh, define itself by uh, by kind of othering the mother religion. So it kind of wanted a unique identity. To, so it, it wanted to differentiate itself from the uh, Jewish uh, religion, right? So among the Jew, among the Jews, you have a very strong, very detailed notions of purity and impurity, and all these are mentioned in Torah and all those texts, uh, the Old Testament. The Torah is the Hebrew version of Old Testament, right? So all these are very much there. And in, uh, in Jewish women, uh, observe a seven day period and sometimes it goes up to 12 days you know uh, so they have these details i have the details in my book uh, you know they call it nidha nidha is a period of during when the menstruation happens the periods happen it is considered a, a state of imp- ritual impurity so nidha is uh, defined as a state of ritual impurity in which women experiences it starts when there is uterine bleeding, you know, the, not any kind of bleeding, but the bleeding with respect to menstruation, that when there is uterine bleeding and uh, the woman becomes aware of it, then the period of nidha starts. And uh, once she has entered nidha, it will take her some time. I think uh, uh, for seven days, uh, uh, she will be there in, uh, in this condition. After the seven days, uh, uh, when the bleeding stops, uh, this is called as then come the clean days. So there's a lot of details are there. At the end of the whole process, they have this ritualistic bath called mikveh, which is a, which uh, after which she is considered as being purified. So this is a this is a practice in Judaism. So the early Christians, what they did at, at one particular, especially few particular sects of early Christians. What they said that, no, no, see, baptism purifies you of everything. So after the new converts, they, they said, told the new converts that now you should not observe Nida anymore. You should not observe Nida anymore because you have been purified by the Holy Spirit. So you should not consider yourself impure during your menstruation. And so you should do your prayers and everything. Because during Nida period, the, the Jews used to not do prayer and uh, hmm. do uh, sexual abs- abstinence from their husbands. So all those things are there. But uh, this, this, this idea did not uh, gain a, a currency even during early Christianity time itself because the other branches of early Christianity did not subscribe to that. The early thinkers the, and even after later you know, the um, later medieval Christianity, none of them have subscribed to that. On the other hand, the notion that there is impurity, ritual impurity, is very well entrenched within Christianity. Uh, apart from this, some early trends that saying that baptism purifies them everywhere, right? So in medieval Christianity, of course, uh, this uh, the practice has continued. But uh, what happened was thinkers like Thomas Aquinas and others, they... Uh, uh, kind of integrated Greco-Roman philosophical views into modern Christianity. So, Nathan, let me uh, yeah. let me interrupt you again there. So, uh, this fellow, this Thomas fellow, when you say medieval uh, uh, period, what uh, uh, 
what what centuries roughly are we talking about 13th 14th 15th i think um i need to do a very and quick, and the uh, second question uh, is yeah sure and the second question is so you have talked about uh, uh, you know what ayurveda had to say on this what uh, the jewish practices were what early christianity was but uh, uh, you brought in the topic of uh, of uh, you know uh, uh, greece uh, and greco attitudes and and so can you talk a little bit about that also before you come into what uh, the medieval period saw uh, what change it saw in these uh, attitudes yeah 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 so uh, what has happened see uh, first of all the thomas aquinas is in 13th century yes as uh, 1225 to 1274 i just did a quick google search <laughs> so yeah see basically uh, the all polytheistic um, traditions share two aspects they associate two aspects with menstruation one is the notion of ritual impurity or miasma or what is called as ashaucha in hinduism and the other aspect is sacredness both are associated and uh, often the scholars only focus on one thing and leaving out the sacredness aspect for example in hinduism we have deities like kamakya parvati etc who are considered deities of menstruation similarly in greeks we had artemis in rome we have the diana among the mesopotamians uh, both both versions of the mesopotamian akkadians and the others sumerians they had uh, inanna and uh, in the egypts we had uh, i think shekmet and few others isis and others so the point is they their understanding of shaucha shaucha that is purity impurity they called purity as catharsis and uh, uh, impurity as miasma and uh, they they defined it in the sense of vitality and loss of vitality competence and incompetence so they you will see some similar views like ours like for example uh, we believe in in practicing you know a lot of women you know traditional women especially believe that women during menstruation should not touch tulsi and such uh, uh, you know plants because uh that would result in uh, kind of a uh, the, the plants will be affected by that you can find similar beliefs in the works of pliny and other uh, greco roman scholars right this is the they were basically noting down through observation and analysis the effect of miasma that happens right but uh, the Uh, the modern scholars and even i uh, interpret in a way that somehow the greeks were afraid of menstruation but i i i do i am not sure this afraid is a correct term at least in greek or roman thing but it did attain the meaning of fear when it was reinterpreted and reformulated by thomas aquinas and other scholars other christian theologians in the medieval period so they borrowed the greco roman concepts they reformulated to fit fit it into um, christian theology what more there were the science was developing then the medicine and other things they refitted even these ideas into the christian idea so in the medieval christianity the the the, the fear of menstruation or the 
or why the menstruation was considered as a sinfulness and evil uh, this this had a complicated uh, influences one is the original christian uh, biblical narrative about uh, uh, periods being a state of sinfulness the second is the reformulated version of uh, greco roman philosophy and the medical fears of the initial uh, scientific and medical developments that happened in the europe so at the end of the day what happened what resulted from all this negative views about menstruation was that uh, people came to be, be afraid of menstruation people came to be afraid of blood itself so the, the blood itself was a big thing they were afraid and uh, the menstruation was used to other the women it was used to other the jews and uh, there were lot of derogatory literature there were lot of derogatory uh, attitudes in people this culminated basically in the genocide in the, of uh, women uh, by calling them witches you know the witches uh, the witchcraft uh, because witchcraft was connected to blood magic and women were considered to uh, having bleeding every month by month through menstruation so this negative notion of uh, menstruation as evil danger and this got completely blown out of proportion and resulted in by some accounts the death and killing of around uh, i think 9 million women in europe accused of witchcraft so wow so so you you see that it is a great great error it's not just error it's, a, it's not a blunder it's a crime to equate the christian narrative of the european narrative of impurity and their experience with the past and how it was misused and how it resulted in killing with a hindu practice hindu designation as ashaucha we don't have the uh, such kind of violence in the name of ashaucha in the name of anything in india this this there is no correlation at all and and, and so it is unfortunately the 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 common narrative is it it routinely uh, borrows the definition of impurity from the west and borrows the critique of impurity from the west and superimposes both among hinduism so you know after this in the, when the when the reformation and then enlightenment and all this modern thought arose in the west they have severely critiqued these christian notions of menstruation christian notions of impurity so we are doing a cut and paste job of a christian notion of impurity as well as the criticism of christian notion of impurity and and superimposing it on indian traditions of hindu traditions so this is the this is a great crime i would say it is not just a blunder it is a great crime it's a great injustice to hindu dharma very 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 interesting and fascinating because uh, uh i'm sure you know i didn't and i'm sure a lot of uh, people won't know the history behind all of uh, uh, you know the history behind the discrimination against women that was practiced uh, using these theological frameworks and constructs that you have just talked about and you and and you uh, cover them in great detail in your book and uh, uh what i want to do now is move the the discussion to to now so if you recall 
after the supreme court judgment came out there was a, a there there were a lot of protests by hindu women spontaneous peaceful protests in kerala where literally hundreds of thousands of women lakhs and lakhs of women came out on the streets and 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 basically asking and demanding that their cultural beliefs traditions practices be respected but unfortunately that did not get much attention in either our mainstream media and and what is more uh, uh Uh, you know what was more surprising and even sad was that uh, no one thought it fit to to ask that uh, why is it that uh, we that uh, you know the 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 traditional beliefs of so many women are not being listened to they are not considered important enough and uh, the you know what even the petitioners i think had uh, a change of heart but they were not allowed to withdraw their petition from the supreme court so that in itself is is a bizarre uh, you know situation that we could have only in in you know in in our glorious land but leaving that aside uh, i think i am digressing here my question is that see on on the one hand you have in the west now a recognition of 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 women's choice of women's empowerment women's freedom but strangely enough when it comes to india the notion of choice is 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 circumscribed to mean choice only as interpreted by certain foreign imported constructs and not taking into account traditional beliefs and and cultures now i can understand if you know ngos funded by by you know foreign institutions take the stand because they are paid to do this but what explains this uh, illiteracy cultural illiteracy among hindus uh, i i have my own thoughts on on them but uh, you know they are neither here nor there since you have uh, done a lot of uh, work and research on the subject do you have any thoughts that you can share with the, with us yeah i think the the root cause of this is um, uh, education and university system Uh, i want to quote my friend maragatham on this who has done a research on this he he says uh, the modern universities and education system is a new kind of religious institution wherein one enters while entering one is a hindu but once when 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 one comes out he has been converted into this religion of liberalism <laughs> so basically what it means is our education system is does not reflect our lived reality uh, it does not reflect our indic thoughts indic ideas indic frameworks indic discourse forget it now for the last 60 years due to the 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 the, the colonialization the co- continued colonialism has, has so much become so much huge that we have forgotten what it is what is indic what is our actual idea ever actual understanding of issue and what is not ours a very one one simple example i will give you uh, look at the laws related to abortion look at the movements related to abortion or look at the kind of discourse related to abortion or even take the example of issue of homosexuality the kind of discourse the kind of arguments you can find a influence of one or the other frameworks 
that uh, that has its origins in the west the, the the notion of equality the notion of liberalism the notion of uh, all this framework all these concepts the, we have simply cut copy paste you know the, that is what we have done and and this is the reason see the, the, the common person that what what is a student taught in the school what is a student taught in the well, we are not taught uh, in the school what uh, um, our indigenous thinkers thought we are not taught what shankara thought we are not taught what a manu says or what any of the indic acharyas says but instead what we are taught in our schools we are taught that constitution wherein we have equality liberal Uh, you know, secular, social, and fraternity, and all those concepts. And we have these thinkers. We have a, a series of. We have a lot of material on Abraham Lincoln, on uh, Western thinkers, and all those things. See, I, there is nothing per se wrong in reading about them. But the problem is our frameworks are completely missing. And this is the reason that uh, we are uh, importing everything. See, you ask any any girl. any woman who is uh, who is in a especially urban educated person about shabrimala they will simply say that no 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 every woman should be allowed to go it is our right it is our uh, you know uh, we are a janmasiddha right you know in kannada we say janmasiddha we have birth right over entering temples and equality so the fact is these students these young youngsters this uh, men and women they have not even spent half an hour to actually sit down and think deep about the issues and even those who find say okay what is happening let me away get become aware myself who sits and does a google search all the news reports he sees it put forwards the same narrative the same discourse right and with um, Uh, with this same discourse and uh, they say okay this is where everywhere is i'm just compiling and uh, digesting this news so they are digesting the one particular kind of narrative where is the voice where is uh, our voice the indic voice those few of us who are working to um, kind of provide voice to hindu philosophy hindu frameworks and concepts we are nowhere present in the mainstream media we are nowhere present in the mainstream academia and even when present our voice is a very minority voice and that to suppressed voice so this is the reason and as i i'll just give a very simple example uh, my lecture on menstruation i have done in multiple videos on uh, on youtube it has received at best uh, to compile everything and the total uh, out some 30000 views but you can just open so many videos so many uh you know related to menstruation saying that you know these are uh, all these practices are superstitious all the outdated regressive they have millions of hits tens and hundreds of millions of hits so this is the kind of uh, narrative difference the, the the difference in magnitude our reach is very very less so this is the i i, I don't see any other reason for why a 10th standard girl or a, a 12th standard boy has to uh, have this very negative uh, opinion about the traditional shabrimala practice because the only thing he is able to read about shabrimala practice is a negative thing 
it's about the same narrative that it is uh, against women it is discrimination and this and that so we have been drilled into our heads all these concepts that uh, i think that is the reason so you know i i i am very very sorely tempted to pick up on what you talked about uh, the the education system but i think we could talk for an entire day come up with more questions and not a single answer and i'll i'll also not talk about the fact that uh, it's now been it's now been 6 years and we are still having this discussion which i i think tells us a lot about uh, the priorities of uh, of uh, you know of us as a nation but to be that as it may uh, i'm not going to go down that road uh i want to take a couple of questions that have come in from the q and a and then we can uh, perhaps talk a little bit about the uh, you know your road to publishing this book and i also want to get in a couple of minutes about your next book that is coming up so uh, we have uh, okay so i'll read out the first question uh, this is this question says a uh, person asks would like to know about menstrual hut practices and other practices which are there in hindu culture which discriminate women from others and make them feel inferior how would you describe about these kind of practices and i think i remember reading some place uh, uh, so that's the end of the question so but i remember reading some place nathan that there is this uh, uh, red hut red tent movement uh, that has uh, sprung up in the west and from the little bit uh, that i could find out it uh, it it talks about seclusion exclusion of women uh, in 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 that uh, state and it seems that uh, so i mean i'll i'll stop here can you can you uh, talk a little bit about that yes i i i uh, tackle this question in my book as, as well uh, i say it it is so easy to um, you know make us believe uh that something is bad or patriarchal and how it is problematic how it is degrades women uh it is so easy without giving much a thought consider this what basically happens uh in, a, in this traditional practice of uh, some followed in some villages wherein this menstrual hut concept is there the women of the village who are menstruating go and live in that hut for those 3 days they are not necessarily alone their food and other uh, uh, needs are taken care of and they they this women take rest there uh, and to the you know whatever uh, limited facilities are available because it's a village people have limited means many times but on the other um, side of the globe we have instead of a hut we have a tent and uh, women are going away from their families and uh, spending time in these tents during their uh, menstruation with other women who are also menstruating so the same could have happened in a village as well wherein two or three people who are menstruating will be together so the point is in the west this notion that you know i don't want to be with a family i want to be with you know separate i i want a me time uh, so to say is 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 a is considered as a hallmark of freedom of women women's freedom from patriarchy but in india the same phenomenon because it is done by brown people because it is done in a villages so it is the product of patriarchy not a freedom from patriarchy 
the same phenomenon on the ground but it is the narrative spunned around it is completely different two distinct uh, narratives but but consider the only the indian practice in the practice it is possible i perfectly agree that in many cases uh, the facilities provided for women in those huts may not be good and certainly there will be scope of improvement and there is nothing wrong in it i mean of course you can one can have a hut with all the kind of luxuries i know i have heard about women who used to in in previous times you know even 20 30 years back um, when they were young and they were having their periods they, they did not go to huts yes but they were segregated within their own house like a, perhaps a separate room or within their own rooms and they used to take all these books and comics and such stuff or um, some other things with themselves and spend their time reading this they were not oppressed this was not degradation it was kind of a holiday for them from otherwise hectic daily, daily life and with, and nowhere in the shastras they mention that women have to go and live in a hut let's this be clear okay what the shastras simply say is that women has to avoid doing cooking avoid physical uh, you know avoid contact with other members of the family and she has to take rest and uh, she has to stay happy uh, there should be no physical exertion no mental exertion because all this will affect her health as far as ayurveda concerned the health is the main issue dharma shastras give other reasons additional reasons for this but whatever reason in this it benefits women it's a rest period for them they can sit in their place in their rooms it may be and they can just enjoy their time and that can that can be equally possible in a menstrual hut if something is being implemented in a wrong way that does not mean the in evolved practice itself is degrading to women it is problem it is not uh, it is not making women inferior right so this notions of inferiority degradation these are moral judgments we are imposing upon a practice which is otherwise has no moral connotation it is in our minds that we see this uh, as a moral inferiority right correct so perfect i think uh, the, uh, one question i think uh, kind of asks and answers this question uh, uh, you know that uh, that uh, the other person asked and you answered and i'll read that out uh, this is uh, from an anonymous attendee uh, and it says sir on one hand indic practices are condemned but on the other hand there is so much emphasis and resurgence of the concept of the sacred divine feminine in the west which celebrates red tent movement is this a complete u turn so i think you kind of uh, answered that by saying that uh, just because something if it comes from the west it is considered uh, modern progressive and correct and anything that is traditional indigenous is considered regressive and 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 discriminatory so i think uh, uh, yeah the other question is that uh, uh, i can... would like to add a point sure go ahead question yeah see uh, now the west is discovering a positive uh, aspect of menstruation and femininity and all that is fine but if we consider uh, any culture across the world any standing surviving religion and culture 
there is no culture no religion as hinduism which celebrates menstruation we celebrate menstruation so much and if in the urban spaces you are not seeing such celebration today it is the problem with the urbanity you know urbanization it is a result of urbanization not otherwise i in my book there is a big chapter on menstruation uh, in hinduism and sacred celebrations right wherein i have mentioned many such evidences for example when the girl and has her menarche has her first bleeding today now it is mostly done in the south especially in tamil nadu where there is a huge celebration all the relatives all the neighboring people are invited and a huge ceremony is done it is as good as big as a half a marriage and karnataka also we have a very minor version of it i have seen my sisters having this ceremony very small ceremony Uh, wherein the neighboring people are invited and they they give all these gifts to the girl and she is made to sit at the center of the place on a pedestal these practices this 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 whole this is uh, uh, this was at one point of time was practiced across india in various states various tribal communities i have made all this details in the book and this practice uh, this is a kind of a samskara ritukala samskara and this imparts a very positive very sacred notion of menstruation to the young girls and similar practices were also in greeks greeks had uh, took their young girls when they started bathing to the temple of artemis which was located outside on the outskirts of the city and they performed a ritualistic dance called a bear dance it you know it was a ritualistic dance it was to help women to transition from being young child to a grown up woman so we nobody can say that hinduism does not celebrate menstruation we alone have the festivals like ambubachi in kamakya festivals like rajaparba in odisha festivals like kedasa among the tulu community in karnataka or the temples like in uh, kamakya mata is considered to undergo menstruation yearly in uh, kerala we have parvati temple wherein every 3 to 4 months there are blood like stains on the saree that the murti of the devi wears and then there is three days rest is given to her and then on the fourth day there is a huge utsavam wherein lakhs of people from all surrounding villages come and celebrate and take her on a procession so this we we celebrate menstruation we celebrate it hugely and we are not afraid we are not ashamed the rural india which celebrates menstruation is not ashamed the rural women may be shy but being shy is not same as being Correct. ashamed the shame is a concept which is modern in origin in fact i would i know i am discussing little but i want to make this point uh, consider the modern sanitary products like stay free and whisper what is whisper whispering means shushing So keeping something quiet say telling in a very low voice what does it convey to a young woman it conveys that menstruation something that is not to be talked about something to be ashamed about not to be discussed what is stay free in us they have the brand of freedom what is freedom what is stay free you know they want to convey that uh, you wear a pad you become free of menstruation such that you can win medals in swimming you know in the name of uh, 
feminism, these products, what they are conveying is a masculinization of women. That they want women to go away from their, become free from their femininity. Because menstruation is a part of their femininity, right? Part of their womanhood. Fascinating. I think that's yet another aspect that uh, we have, uh, uh, that I think we could spend a lot of time talking about, uh, you know, the concept of, uh, of how you first demonize uh, and, and, and instill a sense of shame in native pagan indigenous cultures. You make people uh, uh, repudiate their own customs and traditions and then under a repackaged form, you import them and suddenly they become acceptable and modern. But leaving that aside, there are a couple of other questions also. So one is that can we get a recording of the session? So yes, once the recording is available, we will put it up on YouTube. And this will uh, also be available on the Indic Book Club Facebook group. So it is www.facebook.com slash groups slash Indic Book Club. So you can join and you can, uh, it is being live streamed even now. And once it is completed, I think it will again become available. Uh, another question. So, okay, so there are good, there have, there are a lot of questions that have come in. Uh, so, one is uh, want to know about relationship between moon and menstruation in Sanatan Dharma. Do you have anything on this, uh, Nitin? I have a chapter on it. I suggest uh, they can go through this uh, on the, in the book. Yeah, moon and menstruations. That is a theme which is common across the world. Most cultures, more most uh, even uh, most polytheistic cultures have some kind of relationship between. Uh, this uh, moon and menstruation and uh, you know the changing cycles of moons and how it affects our mind and menstruation all this it is there yeah so uh, okay so there is another question and I think you've covered this uh, to a large extent but I will still read it out and if you have anything to add here it says it's by it's by Mohit and it says uh, Nitin sir when I went through the practice in Kamakya temple where only menstruating females are not allowed to enter I found it creating sense because the temple is closed three days a year when the goddess is known to be menstruating herself this gives a message that menstruating women need rest the logic is decent but in the case of, of uh, Sabrimala a whole group is segregated by saying that your age is menstrual, hence you can't enter. I don't see a logic here justifying enough because the women can be or cannot be menstruating at the time she's ought to visit the Shabrimala. Can you please explain over this doubt I have? Okay, it's very simple. Uh, the Shabrimala restriction is not because women are menstruating. The, the, the restriction is very simple. It restricts women in their reproductive age. That is women capable of bearing children between menarche and menopause. Why it is a restriction is there? Because the deity is an Aishtika Brahmachari. A Brahmachari is one who can who has a lot of restrictions upon him and he cannot come in touch or any kind of contact with uh, fertile women, with women of a fertile age. Because the young children are like children and the old age women are like mothers. So the mothers and the children, the girls, young girls, have access to Shabrimala temple, but the others, the rest of the group between menarche and menopause, they are of reproductive age, and they, that is, they are of age wherein sexual intercourse is possible. Wherein, um, so this is why because of the brahmacharya nature of the deity, the women are restricted. So it has nothing to do with the monthly cycle of menstruation per se. 
There are, okay, so uh, there are still some unanswered questions. What I suggest is, Nitin, that we can continue this conversation on Facebook. I will take these questions and post them on, uh, on, on the Indic Book Club Facebook group, and you can answer them there. The reason is I want to talk about, uh, let's talk about uh, your upcoming book, because I think it's important to, or at least uh, I'm curious to know uh, what you're working on next. And uh, can you tell us a little about what it is uh, and when it is expected to come out and, uh, you know, what made you write it and why should uh, we, uh, who, uh, you know, read that book? Okay. Uh, uh, I just had a quick look at, uh, at the questions. I just want to give one line answers. Uh, the question on Indra, uh, please refer to my book. I have a whole chapter on the question of Indra. And there is one question about Ritukala Samskara being kind of sexualized notion. I think that is a problematic thing. It is not about sexualized notion. It is a mere recognition of a biology, a biological change that is happening in the woman. And no kind of narrative building can actually change the biological fact that woman has changed from her girlhood to a stage wherein her biological process, the menstruation process, the childbearing process has started. It is, it is in the interest of the women that they understand these processes in a positive way, in a sacred way, so that they can negotiate with it in a more positive manner rather than in a regressive way that is happening in modern times when menstruation is considered as a some kind of a uh, uh, burden or a some kind of uh, you know, you can't get rid of it, but you don't like it. So that, that, that is a very negative way. So uh, the samskara gives a very positive meaning to this. Yeah. So with this, um, sorry, I just, uh, I know you wanted uh, this, but I wanted to address that. Uh, so yes, my next book is, um, it's a English commentary uh, that I have been working since I think 2012, 2013. It is an English commentary on Ishavasya Upanishad. Uh, Ishavasya Upanishad is one of the shortest uh, Upanishad. The shortest is Mandokya. This is the second shortest. It has only 18 mantras. But within this 18 mantras, it uh, uh, it consists of, it, it enunciates an entire gamut of Vedanta, an entire gamut of uh, Hindu philosophy itself. So I have um, elaborated, I have I have written a English commentary, but in a traditional format of a Bashya, uh, wherein I have commented on each of the word in a verse, as well as a summary of each of the verse and uh, explanation of each of the word in a verse. And in the second part of the book, I have given a, a free flow uh, explanation of the philosophy of the Ishawasya Upanishad, uh, which gives a kind of a those who do not like the commentary format can read this format wherein uh, it, it, it gives a lot of background material to make sense of the Upanishad and its message. So this, this, this is hopefully coming up in, I think, by Deepavali. It is uh, being published by Subbu Publication from Hubli. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, I think uh, this is something to really look forward to, Nitin. So thank you for sharing this. So folks, I think we are now at the end or actually a little beyond our hour that we had planned. So thank you, Nitin, for coming on and doing this uh, Q&A session, this author Q&A for uh, Indic Book Club. 
And uh, thank you everyone for joining who joined this webinar as well as those who joined in from the Facebook live uh, stream that was uh, taking that is taking place. Uh, we will put this up on YouTube once it's available. And uh, this was the first author Q&A. And we hope to do this, uh, ev you know, periodically every two weeks uh, or more frequently uh, if we can. So, and we will give in more information about this through our social media handles. You can follow us on Twitter at the Indic Book Club and on Facebook as groups slash Indic Book Club. So with that, thank you again, Nathan, and thank you all for joining. Thanks.